So yeah, we're reading from Philippians chapter 3, where Paul writes, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are like-minded and who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So far this reading, and now I'll hand over to Andrew who's going to bring the word. Thanks a lot, Jim. Thanks for sharing that with us. <clears throat> good morning. It's good to be here with you this morning. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Andrew. Um, I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to be part of a, a great team that's uh, leading this church. And 
my privilege this morning to share the word with you from Philippians. And uh, just like Joel challenged us, I, I challenge you and I encourage you to, to open your hearts and open your mind and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you this morning and to help us to understand uh, to a greater measure what Paul's trying to say to us and what we can understand about our life now by looking at what God instructs us. So this is the fourth in our, um, our series on Philippians. Last week Glenn spoke and then I spoke and then Joel spoke before that. So we're... Um, you know, a little over half the way through our, our mini-series on that. And we're looking at Philippians. It's a letter from Paul um, as he's in prison in Rome. He, he's not with the Philippian church. And, but it's a very personal letter, we discovered. And it's full of care and love. And, and he, he expresses that, that he really cares for them. There's this special relationship that he has with the church in Philippi that we see here, even to a greater measure, perhaps, than some of the other letters and the other churches that he writes to. So it's a letter that comes out of his, his love and care for the church. But it's also a letter that he wants to use to remind them that he loves the gospel and that the gospel is good news of great joy. And that's why you'll often see, and we often see as we look through Philippians, we see the words joy and rejoice, perhaps more than some other uh, letters that we see. He wants them to be reminded that, that the gospel is, is great news and it should give them great joy and that they can rejoice in it all the time. And he says that this gospel has brought him much joy and it's actually given him a future, a future that he looks forward to. And we see that time and time again in the different uh, chapters we've been reading, don't we? But also that it can be what gives them great joy. And in fact, he would go as far as to say, it's the only thing in your situation that can give you great joy, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so far, some of what we've seen looking at Philippians in a, in a, um, up till now, he shared that his, his confidence in Jesus and his eternal future with Christ, he's, he's laid that out. Uh, and that makes him rejoice and that fills him with joy and that, that he wants them to understand the very same that he knows that they know that. He's reminded them to live like worthy citizens of the kingdom of God. Uh, a few weeks ago, we spoke about citizenship and how, how important that was and how strong that word was. And he wants them to be worthy citizens of heaven, of the kingdom of God. And that they can do this if they're united as one, if they band together and, and they be uh, the followers of Christ together. And he's encouraged them to shine as lights of Christ to the world, to, to not just um, keep that joy inside and not just know that we're going to heaven and that we can rejoice, but to shine as lights to people around them, to the world around them. And he shows them Jesus as a prime example of someone that does that. And he also goes on to talk about one or two good men, Epaphroditus, you might remember, and Timothy. And, and he talks about shining his lights as us being people that that have that great joy, that rejoice in the gospel, but that it shines out of us and that others would rejoice as well. And today in chapter 3, he goes on. And, you know, perhaps it's not brand new information for the Philippian church. Um, and and you, you see that from verse 1. If we look at verse 1 of chapter 3, <clears throat> he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. What he's saying is, you know, I'm telling you stuff that you've already heard before, 
But it's no bother for me to do that because I reckon it's actually a good thing and it's safe for you to know this and to be reminded of that. And his urgency is clear through doing this, that, that his, his sense of urgency of saying, guys, you, know, you need to understand how important this gospel is and how much it's going to change your life. And remember, he is really hoping to come and see them in person. But he wants to make sure that he leaves nothing unsaid. And so you'll see a bit of repetition. He keeps reminding them of the things that he has on his heart. He doesn't want to leave anything unsaid. So he does some reminding. You know, when you, when you love someone and you care a lot, you remind them of what's good for them, don't you? And you warn them of things that might not be good for them or might hurt them. Not only because they might forget, but also to impress upon that person the importance of it, don't you? You know, think of a mother, uh, a mother or a father that, that says to a child, wash your hands. The child doesn't turn around and say, well, you told me that when I was three. You don't need to tell me that anymore when I'm eight. The mother or father always says, wash your hands before you eat. Wash your hands before you touch anything. Watch the road. How many uh, parents haven't said to kids, watch the road? And they say it every time. It's, you know, perhaps the child hasn't forgotten, but they want to impress upon the, the child how important it is to watch the road. Don't follow or get in the car with a stranger. You're reminding people to do that. Do your homework. I'm probably speaking to teenagers now. How many teenagers need to be reminded of this homework? They know it's there. But parents will remind them. Hang out with good people, etc. And what about adults, you know? And, and I was thinking of what are some of the reminders that we constantly get as adults that we already kind of know, but it's good for us to be reminded, you know? Service the car. A lot of modern cars now have this ding that comes up on the dash to tell you to service your car. Is that because you've forgotten that cars actually need servicing? No, it's to help you understand that it's really important to service the car. Pay the bills. That's kind of important because if you don't pay the bills, the power goes out and the gas goes out. Uh, water the plants. That's particularly important in our household. We, we have a, a strange knack or a ability to kill plants. And uh, to be reminded to water the plants is a good thing for us. So Paul's going on to remind them he might be repeating himself, but he's doing it out of love. Remember, this is someone who really loves these people. But today in our reading, I want to, I want to, I want to see three things. Three things that he's saying that I think are important for us to understand as well. And those are, the first one is our confidence and assurance is only in Christ. You know, that our righteousness only comes through him. So the first thing is our confidence and assurance is only in Christ. And the second thing is, it's a lifelong journey. So press on. That's the second thing I think he's saying to us. And the third thing I think he's saying to us is, we are citizens of heaven now. Already. So hang in there because the prize is worth the effort. We are citizens of heaven now. And so we look at the first one. Our confidence and assurance is only in Christ. That there's no other way or, or no other achievement that you can, that you can reach or do uh, that can give you the confidence that you can get from Christ. And he comes hot out of the blocks if you look at, at verse 2 of our reading. And he jumps straight out. He says, look out for the dogs. And he bounces out there. Look out for the dogs. Look out for evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. You know, I've had the echo. Watch the road. Don't get in the car. You know. He comes hot out of the blacks with, look out. 
There are those that will have you believe that you need to do more or do certain things in order to be confident of assurance. And this is what he's saying. Paul sees these as threats to joy. Because Paul understands that the gospel is good news of great joy and it only comes through Jesus. And if there's anything else presented, it's a threat to that joy. And you might remember or you might have heard the times when uh, when Paul really championed for only Jesus being our confidence. Uh, the council in Jerusalem, when, um, when they were challenging the Gentiles that they needed, to be, um, they needed to be circumcised in order to be saved. And Paul was angry and he rose up and he said, no, it's only Jesus. You cannot add anything to Jesus. It's not Jesus plus. It's only Jesus. And even he challenged Peter in a number of, number of times, didn't he, around the same sort of thing. And so you see that, that harsh language, don't you? Look out for the dogs and, and um, mutilators of the flesh. And why does Paul get so harsh? Those were really harsh words in the time. You know, nowadays that might not be as hard as we could get, but those were really strong words in the time. Paul is expressing this really harshly, if you like, or with emotion, because he sees these people treating salvation as something that you can get by human effort. And this is really offensive to Paul. This is so offensive to Paul and it runs counter to the message of the good news. And so Paul wants to nip that in the bud and he wants to be really forceful and really call those guys out as false and fake. And he goes on to say, if anyone has things that they could potentially add, if anyone has a great Jewish resume, then it's Paul. Look at his list. He goes on. If anyone, if anyone has a claim to, to being good and getting everything right, then that's me. But held up, against, held up against the good news of great joy, what does he say? He says it's rubbish. You know, we in our version, we have the word rubbish, but in the original version, it uses, it's the word dung. So we won't use the Australianism for that, but... You can understand. Again, that's hard words because he's trying to create that, that, that comparison with us of saying, you know, I could, I've had all these great things and I could add all these great things and have a claim to, to keeping all the laws and, and being the best there is. But held up against the good news of Jesus Christ, held up against what Christ did, those things mean nothing. They're rubbish. They're just out of the way. All of it. All that stuff gets in the way of really knowing Christ. And it tricks me into thinking that I need more than the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to be confident of eternity. It tricks me into thinking that I need more than the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to be assured that His grace is for me. That I need to do more to have that assurance and that confidence. But then he, he goes on to intimate, he says, I can't gain Christ, I can't have Christ if I'm holding on to or I'm depending on those other things in my life. If I try to get my righteousness through all those other things and I'm holding on to them, I can't gain Christ. I can't have all that Christ is. I cannot and you must not allow those things, those voices, other achievements, ideas or people to boost my confidence, he says. No, Paul says, I'll take, I'll take the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, because that's a sure bet. I gave up all those things, those other things, so that I would know him. 
I, I gave up allowing those things to, to make me feel good so that I would know him. And by that, he says, I would attain resurrection from the dead. Eternal life is what he's talking about. You know, um, is this a challenge for you or for us? Um, is our confidence, you know, and, and I had to think, is my confidence and assurance for life in Christ alone, only in Jesus? Are we tempted to add things or actions or requirements to the message that the cross is enough? Are we tempted to sort of help um, somehow in that assurance? You know, our Reformed theology says Christ alone, right? It's pretty spot on. But it can be a challenge for me at times too, and I'm not sure how you feel about that. The things that I've achieved or the things that I do for God, the way that I serve perhaps, or my particular take on the gospel or theological ideas, I, I can feel that they somehow add to, uh, to it. Those theological ideas and, and my take on the gospel that always lead to acting a certain way that I can tell by the way I act that I must have it and, and someone else must not. And that can become my confidence. Maybe it's your rock-solid quiet time routine. Maybe it's your church attendance or your church practices. Maybe it's your prayer life or the good deeds that you get involved in or your giving. Maybe those things can sneak in and give you confidence. Maybe it's even the standing you've achieved in the church or in the Christian community or amongst your peers. Now, none of those things are bad. Absolutely not. In fact, they're good things. But Paul would say to you, and he would say this to me as well, that there are absolutely no reason to have confidence and assurance in Christ. It's only in the death and resurrection of Jesus. You see, if we depend on those things to help with our assurance, then when we're not quite perfect in them, and we don't really actually get them right, then we risk our joy. Our joy and our ability to rejoice in the gospel or to have great joy in salvation is rocked. Because if I need to add to it and then I don't actually get it right or I, I can't keep up, then my assurance is rocked and my confidence is rocked because I'm depending on me. Paul knows that and he wants us to know that too. And that's why he's speaking to the Philippian church like that. You know, I could claim all these things, but if I do and I don't get them right, then my confidence would be rocked and, and perhaps even shattered. The good news of great joy is only that good news of great joy when it's out of our hands and in the control of a powerful Saviour who loves us deeply. And so like Paul, we need to place our confidence squarely there. That's the first thing. This, our confidence and assurance is only in Christ. The second thing I think Paul is saying is that it's a lifelong journey. So press on. You know, we look at Paul and we think he's probably made it and he's done well. But he's saying it's a lifelong journey. He says, I'm not there yet. You know, I understand all this stuff and, and I'm preaching it to you and I'm telling you and I'm telling you with confidence that you should have confidence. But I'm not there yet, but I press on. And I can press on because Christ has made me his own. Now, initially, when I read this, I thought this. Could this be seen as contradictory to the, the point above? You know, effort on my own and, and you know, I need to make effort, I need to press on. Is it contradictory? 
I don't think so. Paul reflected on his own journey. He was very open and honest with his own journey, wasn't he? And he reflected on that journey that it has two sides. And we see that our journey has two sides as well. I read a, a commentator and a commentator put it like this. Our life with Christ has two aspects. On the one hand, it's a life of personal commitment, effort and determination. And on the other, a life resting on the truth of Christ's finishing work on the cross. A life of consecration and a life of conviction. You see, pressing on, when Paul talks about pressing on, pressing on for Paul is determining to let the truth of Christ and his work be reflected in his own life. Let me say that again. Pressing on for Paul is determining to let the truth of Christ's work be reflected in his own life and through his own life. Do you remember back in chapter 2 when he said, and I, I think I mentioned it when I spoke a couple of weeks ago, where he said, I, you know, I, I hope I won't be ashamed. Do you remember that? You know, that? And what he was saying is, I hope I do justice to the gospel. The gospel is so amazingly great. It's so good. It's so powerful. It's so all-encompassing. It's all we need. Oh, I just hope my life will do justice to it. And that's why he's pressing on. He's pressing on because he wants his life to reflect Christ. But Paul knows he's not perfect yet. He says in verse 12, and if we read verse 12, he says, Not that I've already attained this, sorry, obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. You know, we might feel like this too. I do. You know, I feel like, well, yes, I, I, this, this is great news, of, of, of good news of great joy, and it's, and it's everything I need, and, and I can't really add anything to it. But, but how do I press on? What, what do I do? What, what does that look like? And I think Paul shows us two little things in this section here. And um, he tells us what he's doing and what he's suggesting in those two things, isn't he? He's saying, don't get distracted and follow or surround yourself with good examples. And that's what we can get out of there. So he's pressing on, but he's, he's helping us understand what that looks like. He says he forgets what's behind him and strains towards what's ahead. And he forgets what's behind him. In the original language, it's not just behind, it's kind of around. He forgets what's around him and behind him. It's a race analogy. It's when you're running a race, isn't it? It's that, that picture of him running a race. And he, he puts out of mind what's behind him and around him. He puts out of mind distraction. You know what it's like when you're running a race and... And you're kind of winning, and it's it's you know. And if you turn to look around, you start to lose pace or you run off course. It's a bit like that when I um, ride my bicycle and we go on rides with the guys, you know. And I'm I might be up ahead, which is pretty rare. Um, but anyway, when I'm up ahead, if I turn to look around, if you've ever done that on a bike, you start turning the bike off the path. It's a distraction. And this is the analogy that Paul's using, isn't he? Because a distraction would equal losing the race. And so he's saying, I'm not allowing the distractions to, to get in the way. Not allowing any distraction and being determined to make an effort. You know, distractions were par for the course for the Philippian church as well, weren't they? And we saw that in verse 15. There was a little hint of that. If you look down at verse 15, he's saying, Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if, any, if, if in anything you think otherwise... God will reveal that to you. 
So he's suggesting that there are people that think otherwise, that are, are, are speaking things that are probably counter to or are not just about Jesus alone. You know, perhaps they were distracted by the population, busy trying to achieve and attain, you know, the Roman ideals. I explained a couple of weeks ago that Philippi was a, a Roman, it was Rome in the middle of Greece, basically, and it was very uh, aspirational to be Roman. It was very good for your reputation. It was, um, it, it was very good for you to be Roman, and, and you wanted to reflect that as best you could, and you wanted people to see you as a Roman, and perhaps... You know, the, even the Christians in Philippi were distracted by trying to achieve those Roman ideals, to, to be a worthy Roman, to please the Roman officials, perhaps to increase their standing and, and that whole citizenship we talked about. But then he says to them, and, and just after that, verse 15, you know, let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it to you only. And a couple of weeks ago I talked about that only. Only remember that, you know, there might be a lot of distraction around you, there might be a lot of stuff, and you might be tempted to consider other views, but only let us hold true with what, to what we've attained. You know, he, there is total understanding in Paul there that, that as humans we get distracted by things, we get led away by things, we question things and say, oh, perhaps. We're saying, only let us hold true to what we've attained, let us hold true to what Jesus has done. Salvation and eternal life. Citizenship in heaven. And, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Because that's the true goal. So there might be a lot in the race that, that we've got to deal with. There might be a lot of things that, that are challenging us and distracting us. But let us hang on to only that. The true goal. And that will take us there. So what kind of things distract us, you and me? What can quickly become more important to us? Or maybe just as important to us as the kingdom of God. What can become more important than the call of Christ and our role in the kingdom? Have a think about what could those distractions be? What could potentially rob you of the victory and the joy? What's in the past behind you or even around you now in the present that's distracting you? Distracting us, me, and perhaps it's even lying to us about the gospel of good news. Perhaps it's even adding things to the gospel of good news and we're not even aware of it. It can be pretty easy to get sidetracked. It can be pretty easy to get discouraged and even lose sight of God in our lives at times. It can be really easy sometimes to get so focused on ourself and what's happening in our life that we take our eyes off God and we get distracted, don't we? We start to wonder, does he really love us? We start to wonder, did he really, does he really, did he really save us? Did he? And we get distracted, don't we? we? We don't do that. Only let us hang on to what we've already attained. Sometimes that can happen through a series of choices or preferences that we've made in life. We've chosen over time. Sometimes we've made good choices and, and, and good preferences, but... Perhaps they weren't God choices or God preferences. And sometimes we've been discouraged or pushed from outside of ourselves. And that's why Paul says, and this is really important, the second thing, imitate and copy him and surround yourself with good people. Did you see that? He said, brothers, join in imitating me 
And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. So imitate me, do like I do, but also surround yourself, follow good people that live that good example of the gospel that we've talked about. People who are examples of the truth. Because there are things and there are people and there are ideals that run counter to the gospel. And we know that, don't we? And and Paul says that in verse 18 and 19. He says, For many of whom I've often told you, so this is that high, you know, like a mother or father saying, I've told you this before. You know, there's many who I've often told you, and I'm telling you even now with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross. Enemies of the cross of Christ. People that that raise something else up that pulls down the power of, of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame and their minds are on earthly things. They're not looking to follow God. They're not only holding on to Christ. They're looking for earthly things, things that they can add, maybe even things that are destructive. But those things aren't only true of them. You know, we know those things are true of our life. We live in a world where we're told that there's another, a better narrative than the narrative of the Bible, aren't you? The narrative of the Bible is looked down upon. There's a way better, there's a more enlightened way to see life, isn't there? We don't need a saviour. We don't need a way. There's a pushback against the message of the gospel, isn't there? You know, enlightenment and intelligence, success, consumerism, cultural correct thinking. These are the things that we must attain. We don't need to attain that, that, the confidence in, in what Christ did, but we need to attain these things. They will save us because they will make us someone. They would be like Paul if he decided to be someone because he was a, Rome, a Hebrew of Hebrews and he'd done everything right. These things in our world will save us. They'll make us someone. And we're encouraged to follow these kind of examples, aren't we? We're encouraged to have these kind of aspirations and goals. But look at what Paul says. Their mind is only on themselves and this earth. Their mind is only on the things that they have now. Maybe that was Roman citizenship and, and all the, the privileges that came with that. They're, they can only see this life, Paul says. And basically he's saying they have their reward, second grade citizenship. And he's saying these are not great examples for you to follow. These are not great ways for people to follow. Not great things to model yourself after. Not the best company or the best people to hang out with. Do you have good examples? Who do you hang out with? Or who do you hang on to? What do you read? Where do you get your truth in situations? You know, we're reading about the, uh, what's happening in the US and, and all around the world now. <clears throat> uh, COVID-19, all the issues of the day. And we look at the last couple of years and there's been many of issues. Where do we look for our truth? Where do we understand? Who do you aspire to be like? And what are their values? Do those you choose to give yourself, are they leading you to Christ? Or are they drawing you away from Christ? Or the movements or, or causes or philosophies that we, we quickly sometimes and, and can easily embrace, do they work to display Christ and his values? Or man and his intelligence and his values? And those things can be so subtle. I have to check myself all the time, you know, and what can appear very Christian or what can appear very noble. And it might even be good, 
But it's not God. It doesn't hold up Christ as the ultimate saviour, as the ultimate answer, as the ultimate one who we have confidence in to save us. Who's running with you in a direction of Christ? Who's pointing to or reminding you of the reward Christ has already attained for you? Already attained for you. Because as Paul says, and this is our third point, he says, we are citizens of heaven now. But our citizenship is in heaven. But. You see, you know, I love this, and you get sick of me saying the therefores and the onlys and the but. When there's a but there, there's got to be an opposing view. He's just laid out the opposing view. He's laid out the people that, that are, are contrary to what he believes. He says, but. That's where he says, these guys are wrong. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. To the Philippians, the message was, yes, you might be living in a Roman city and you might even be enjoying citizenship of Rome and all that it brings. And that's okay. You're in Rome and you're, you might have been an ex-soldier or you, and you, you've become part of the church, whatever it was, and that's okay. But, but, you cannot let it distract you from the race you're running for the kingdom. It's not your primary identity anymore. Rome and its ways will not save you. But just like being a Hebrew of Hebrews was not going to save Paul. Rome and citizenship in Rome will not save you. It will not afford you the best future. Jesus will. In fact, he already has. So stand firm in this Lord and Saviour. Notice that he doesn't say, hang in there and one day you'll become citizens of heaven. Or stand firm because it will happen. And it's a promise to come. He doesn't say that. And this is really important for us to know. He says, is. Our citizenship is in heaven. You see, when we talk about Christ's finished work on the cross... It means that it's all done, finished. Christ's finishing work, finished work on the cross means it's all done and dusted. The papers are signed, the passport's issued, our legal status has changed, we have all the rights, privileges and honour that comes with being citizens with Jesus in our new home with God. We may still be living here and they may still be in Rome, but we're citizens. It's happened, it's done. It's like the naturalisation or whatever the process is, it's done. In our case, it's a process of Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross that has taken care of everything that we need to become citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven. No one can rob us of our status. So we can have that confidence and assurance. Peter said something similar. If you, look, if you go forward, if you read Peter, let me read a few verses there. Peter says it like this, doesn't he? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us a new birth. How do you get citizenship somewhere? You get born there. Jesus even took care of that. He gave us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance. How do you get to have the privilege of inheritance, of, of being a Roman? You've got to be a Roman. We get the inheritance of the kingdom because we are kingdom citizens, privileges into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. It can't be taken away from us. It can't be robbed. 
This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that's already, that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice. You see that again? It's such a great message that you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, you might have to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. It's this recognition even from Peter that this message is good news of great joy, this citizenship. And you might not be experiencing it all now. You might be living in Rome or living in Melbourne or, or living wherever you're living. But your citizenship is in heaven. It's there and it can't be taken away. The Philippian Christians may have been in Rome, but they were not of Rome anymore, Paul is saying. Does that remind you of us? You know, we are in this world, but Jesus prayed for us in John 17 and he said, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Jesus pointed to that himself, didn't he? There's a uh, French uh, philosopher and a Jesuit priest, Pierre Chardin, de Chardin, anyway, and he said this, and you've probably heard this before, we're not human beings having a spiritual experience, we are spiritual beings having a human experience. In the first instance, we're citizens of heaven and we're living here on earth. Does that make sense? Bill said it when he spoke a few weeks back. He said, this is not our home. He said, we don't get our identity from this world. We're made for another world. You know, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. That's what Paul's kind of saying. You're in this world and you're in Rome and you're living in this Roman city, but our citizenship is in heaven. Remember that. God has done a mighty work in taking our broken lives and through his son, making them whole again. He's done a great work in taking my broken life and through Jesus, his son on the cross, he's made me whole again. He's made you whole again. And he's given me and given you a new birth into a new identity. That's done. It's been done. The race was run and won by Christ. And we get the prize. Isn't that cool? That's good news of great joy. That's the good news of great joy that Paul's talking about, that he wants the Philippians to grasp and understand. And now God is at work in our world, working through you and I. All the while, he's preparing a place for us when we're with him in glory. But he's working in and through us even now while we're here. So while we're here, let's rejoice in the good news that is, that we know is true. And let's fix our eyes on and see what Christ did for us and what he calls us to. Let's press on in that. Let's follow and surround ourselves with great examples and great mentors. And Paul finishes like this. After all that and after all that we've heard this morning, he says, Therefore, so, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown... Stand firm thus. Therefore, stand firm thus because. And that's for us today. Therefore, so hang in there because the prize is well worth the effort. You know, maybe for you, when you're hearing this sort of stuff, you're thinking, I don't really experience that or I don't really... You know, that's a great message, but I don't really see that in my life sometimes. You know, my confidence and assurance isn't always only in Christ. 
Talk to someone about that. Pray with someone about that. Be it, even for us that are, that are, constant, that are a part of the church, and, and, and even for me, reading the Word and, and praying and, and checking my heart, is my confidence and assurance only in Christ? Is yours? If it is, great. If it isn't, ask someone to pray with you and help you. You know, maybe this lifelong journey or pressing on has become a challenge for you. And, and we, have, we all have seasons where that's hard, where there's distractions or lack of examples. And let me challenge you, you know, to bring to God the things that are distracting you and surround yourself with good examples. You know, I, I can't neglect reminding you of Caleb's announcement a few weeks ago about mentoring. If you need someone to mentor you, to, to, to be a good example to follow, then do that. It's a great way to stay on track. And know that you're citizens of heaven now. Maybe you don't feel like that. Maybe the finished work of Jesus on the cross, uh, maybe you don't understand or you don't know that. Maybe you're not someone that has given your heart to Jesus. Let me challenge you and encourage you today to do that. Give your heart to him. He has. All that he did on the cross was enough for you. There's nothing you can add to it. Nothing you can do to make it better, to help. Just surrender and accept the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And if you need help to do that, talk to someone about that as well. Let me just pray with you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word again. <clears throat> thank you that um, your word <clears throat> uh, never goes back empty it never goes back not having an impact it lord as your word is spoken and lands in our hearts and encourages us and grows us thank you for reminding us of the wonderful good news that everything that you did was enough that my efforts on earth and our efforts on earth to try to make things better they don't add to it lord what you did was enough and we just praise you and thank you for that and we thank you that you encourage us to, to continue on, that the prize is worth the effort. And Lord, thank you for reminding us that it's a done deal. That there's nothing that we don't need to perform to get to the point where will we be accepted now? Will we be accepted as citizens? But that it's done. That you've given us the full rights and the full privilege of being your brothers and sisters of being a family together with you, with your Father, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And Lord, we thank you that that gives us the um, motivation and that gives us the encouragement to press on to you and to look for you. <clears throat> Lord, surround us with people that will help us in that. Show us people that will help us. Encourage us, prompt us, Holy Spirit, to, to take steps where we feel like we need to. So this can be a reality in our life. Lord, the love with which Paul <clears throat> encourages and challenges the Philippians is only a shadow of the love that you have for us. It's only <clears throat> a little bit like the love that you have for us. That's so much greater. And the urgency that you have for us to say, come to me, is so much greater. And I pray that we would hear that today in Jesus' name. Amen.